Last week, I posed the question with you, what is forgiveness? What does it look like? And I looked at a definition from Thomas Watson with you that included these seven elements, resisting revenge, not returning evil for evil, wishing them well, grieving at their calamities, praying for their welfare, seeking reconciliation as far as it depends upon you, and coming to their aid in distress. And I said that what I wanted to do today is to ask, how in the world do you do that? Where do you get a heart, an ability, a power, a motive, a strength to carry that through against the natural inclinations of the fallen human heart? And that's what I want to ask about today. Some of you have been wronged in your lives so badly and hurt so deeply, forgiving would be as impossible as flying. When I, when I said that to myself yesterday, it would be as impossible as flying. I remembered the little poem from John Bunyan back in January. Some of you remember it, I can tell. I had Barnabas respond and he could almost quote it this morning. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Now, the flying of the Christian life is forgiving. And you don't have wings in yourself. If we are to fly with forgiveness, you pick out the person right now that's hardest for you to forgive. If we are to fly with forgiveness as a congregation in these days, we must have wings. Gospel wings. The gospel brings far better news. And it's right here in this text. In fact, this text has two wings with three, just three Big, massive feathers in each wing. So, kids, if you're going to draw the sermon this morning, okay? I like kids to draw the sermon. So if you're going to draw the sermon, get ready. You're going to draw. If, if, if you were doing it my way, you can do it your own way. But you, if you're going to do it my way, you're going to draw this, this great eagle that is going to fly with two wings, and there are only going to be three big feathers in the wings on each side, and you got to draw them in such a way that you can write something in the wing, because I'm going to tell you the name of every one of the six wings out of the Bible here. And these are the six wings, or the six feathers, with which we fly with gospel flying, namely forgiveness. Now, I'm talking to believers this morning. When I say you, I mean you believers. And I can't help but believe that in a, in a group this size, there are some unbelievers also. My prayer for you last night, this morning, right now, as I'm talking, my heart's ascending to the Lord, that you will listen to what I say to believers and that 
God would so work in you that what I am saying to them would be compellingly attractive to you. And that you would want this. You would want these wings and these six feathers to be in your body. And you can have them for the believing. If you lay down the heavy weights that are holding you to the ground, the weights of sin, just say no to those and trust the one who grafts these wings into your life, you may have them. So don't check out on me even though I'm talking to believers. There are two wings. The one wing is three things that God did for you before you were ever born. And the other wing is three things that God did for you after you were born. And with those three mighty works of sovereign grace, you can fly. That is, you can forgive. So let's take them one at a time. Feather number one in wing number one is this. God loved us with a special saving love. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as loved. You can mark that word. There's the first one. As loved children. Then verse 2 of chapter 5, walk in love just as Christ also loved you. So there you have God the Father loving you and God the Son loving you. Now, for this truth to grip you this morning, you need to realize this is not merely the general love that God has for the whole world. There is a love that God has for the whole world that makes that sunrise. It's going to come right through that window probably and whap me right in the face. And you just leave it open, Tom, okay? Just let it blind me. I love it. It's going to blind some of you too. It's getting Mike right there. But let's just let it be there and be a reminder that uh, that's love that comes up on the just and the unjust, the good and the evil. That's love spreading out over this world. The rains come down, Acts tells us, as love. Every breath that comes out of your mouth that you take is a gift of God. God loves the world in unbelievably wonderful ways. But if that's all you think about when you feel loved by God, you'll be like a wife who only feels loved by her husband in the way every other man loves her. Now, let me show you why I think uh, God loves you differently than that and more than that. We'll stay right here in Ephesians and look at chapter 1. You know these verses, but just look at chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. It says, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us unto adoption as sons. Now, there's a love that he has for you, Christians, that he does not have for the world. And you need to feel that. You need to feel that there was a time in eternity before you ever existed when God saw you in his mind's eye and he cherished you. Freely, before you had done anything good or, for, or evil, he set his favor upon you and said, that person I will so move through history and in their lives as to make them my child. When that grips you, 
that you are loved with a special, individual, personal, particularizing love of God from all eternity, something awesome happens in your heart. And I want you to awaken to that this morning. You are loved with a special love. A covenant love, we call it. The Bible calls it. That's feather number one. God loves me with a special saving love. You're right on that feather. Feather number two. Christ, the Son of God, gave himself for you as a sacrifice. Verse 2 again of chapter 5. Christ gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, the reason that is so necessary and what will help us feel the weight of how beautiful it is, is that according to chapter 2, verse 3 of this book, everybody in this room, apart from that kind of grace, is a child of wrath. There has been enough coming out of my mouth, out of my heart, through my hands and my feet, my attitudes, my thoughts, my feelings, as to send me to hell every day of my life. If there were not someone who could take my guilt, do away with it, pay the debt in full, I would have no hope whatsoever. No hope at all. And that's what this means. Christ died for you. But here again, we are not talking about just a general death for everybody in the same way. Now, how do I know that? Chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, that means not that the, the death of Christ is not available and sufficient for everybody. It is. But it means that when he died, he had his wife in view. He was doing something to cleanse a wife, to take a wife, to purify a wife, to embrace a wife. And therefore, what we should feel when we look at the cross is not merely there's something that applies equally to people in hell and and me. Some comfort. That's not true. It has an application to the people of God that is intended and precious and covenant-like and husband and wife-like. When Christ died, he was embracing his body and dying for his people in a special way, namely with that special covenant-saving marriage love. Chuck Colson told a story on Thursday night in Dallas. I was down in Dallas for a couple of days at a conference. I heard him tell this story. It just blew me away. I thought I'd tell it to you because it's so powerful right here. He said He told the story of a concentration work camp and uh, there were teams of 20 men out digging they'd come in every night they'd put their shovels up against the wall the officer in charge of the camp would count the shovels and one night 20 men stood there and he counted 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 19 one shovel missing and he turned around to the men he said which one of you didn't bring your shovel in? nobody said anything and he became very, very angry he said I'm going to shoot 10 men at random If the person who did not bring his shovel in doesn't step forward. And a 19-year-old boy 
stepped forward. They took him five steps away and shot him in the head. And as they dismissed, they recounted the shovels and there were 20 shovels. He had miscounted. Now the difference between what that boy did for those friends is that Jesus knew which ten he was dying for and Jesus knew that they were, every one of them, utterly unworthy for what he was about to do. I want you to feel that when Christ died for you, as we move through this last week of Lent, through Maundy Thursday, through Good Friday, that when you look at the cross, you feel it totally personally. As though there were just two of you standing there and one shovel. And he steps forward. And you can see there are two shovels there. And for some reason this office is blind. And he just does it for you. It was for you in a very particular, individual, personal way. That's covenant love. That's feather number two. Christ died for you. Number three. God the Father was satisfied with that sacrifice. I get that at the end of verse 2, chapter 5. Christ gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That's an awesome thing to say. That God would stoop down at his son, writhing in pain, dripping with blood, beaten and pommeled and bruised and mocked and say, smells good. (gasps) Smells so good. What does that mean? What does he mean that this smells so good? This gore, this flesh, this blood, this agony, this awful pain, this abandonment, this unbelief of his apostles, this smells so good to God. It means, real simply, it totally satisfied his demand. It totally satisfied everything we owed. It totally satisfied the demands for his own honor to be vindicated and his righteousness to be established and the sins to be covered. God alone, nobody else, God alone could see what was happening there. The rest of us, we would have been beating on our chests and pulling our hair out and screaming that it was happening. But God could see it all. And he said, it smells so good. The third feather in the wing with which you can fly with forgiveness is when Christ died, God was satisfied. Oh, be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. Every debt that you ever had has been paid up in full by the blood of the Lamb. Be ye glad. Oh, be ye glad. Now, that's the wing The love of God, the death of Christ, and the satisfaction felt of that death in the Father's heart. That's the wing for gospel flying that was put in place before you were ever born. All that happened before you ever came on the screen. Okay? 
Now we go to wing number two. You are alive now. You've been born, but you're a child of wrath. Still an unbeliever outside Christ. Now what does God do for you? Number one, feather number one in the second wing is God put you in Christ Jesus. That is, into a relationship with Christ like a vine into a branch. Look at chapter 4, verse 32 at the end there. Forgive each other, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Now, how did you get there? In Christ, grafted into Christ, united to Christ so that his acceptability to the Father becomes your acceptability to the Father. How'd you get there? Did you jump in there? Did you put yourself in Christ? Here's a verse that answers it very, very clearly. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, By God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus. So the first feather in the second wing is God puts you in Christ. God moved in on your life one day when you were utterly blasé about him. Might have been when you were six. Might have been when you were 60. You were just going along and suddenly, a God consciousness, a guilt consciousness, a need consciousness. Hell becomes real. Heaven becomes real. Sin becomes scary and the gospel becomes beautiful. You didn't do that. You didn't do that. God did that. God arrived in your life and he, he put you in Christ, granting you that awesome gift of uniting faith. So that's the first feather. God put us in Christ like a vine into a branch. Here's feather number two in this wing. That helps you fly with gospel flying, namely forgiving. God, in Christ, adopted you into his family. He adopted you into his family. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as loved children. Loved children. Children. You became an heir... With Christ, you are now in the family. Now that has been God's intention for you from all eternity. I get that from chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, God predestined us unto adoption as sons. So he had your adoption in mind long before you existed, long before the world existed. He saw you and he predestined you to be his child, but you become his child in an official act of adoption by uniting you to his son. And I was thinking of this in relationship to how we get children. Um, A lot of children are born by accident. And if if a parent is cruel and heartless, they may say, We never wanted you anyway. That'd be about the worst thing a parent could say. We never wanted you anyway. But children are born by accident. None 
of God's children are born by accident. None of them are adopted by accident. There are no unwanted children in God's heart. From time in eternity, he has predestined, he has planned this parenthood all the way through until eternity. And Christ's death is like an unspeakably high payment in this divine Micah fund, lest we be castaways. So the second feather in this great wing is we're adopted freely, intentionally, by plan, by God. Finally, the third feather in this second wing is God forgave us all our sins. Verse 32 again. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, what I've tried to do with my own heart, with these six feathers and these two wings, is try to get outside the preaching mode and outside the just the, the theological ordering and even the image that I've created for you and just get in as close to God as I could in prayer. Which I want you to do, if not now, sometime today, but even perhaps now as we close the service, you could do it with me. And just very, very, very intently say, thank you so much that you loved me with a special dying love, particular, personal, individual. I receive it. Thank you for loving me. And thank you, Lord, that your son came and died for me, covered all my sins, paid the debt in full with a particular covenant dying for me in particular. And thank you, Father, that it satisfied you. It satisfied you. All my debt is covered. It smelled good to you. He's acceptable to you. That's one way. And then, Lord, I came into being. And you looked down and you saw an unworthy child of wrath who was acting out of his evil nature and fulfilling all kinds of unrighteousness. You looked upon me. And according to your covenant love with me, you took me and you grafted me into Christ so that his life flowed into me and begot faith and you adopted me and you forgave me. If you don't make it personal like that, if you don't go right to God, put aside John Piper, put aside this congregation, put aside everything and just stand before him and say, God loved me. God did it. For me, I don't think the wings will function. But once those wings are in place, you can fly. And the flying is forgiving. Forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Let me close with a story 
of Spurgeon's experience of flying. He wrote, you know, he was converted as a 16-year-old boy, but he was really wrestling in those years. He was quite the child prodigy. And here's what he said about his conversion. My life was full of sorrow and wretchedness, believing that I was lost. But, oh, the blessed gospel of the God of grace came to me and with it a sovereign word, deliver him. And I, who was but a minute before, as wretched a soul could be, could have danced for the very merriment of my heart. And as the snow fell on my road home from that little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked with me and told me of the pardon I had found. For I was white as the driven snow through the grace of God. Now, years later, years later, he wrote this. To be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. But yet there is one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive. As it is more blessed to give than to receive, so to forgive rises higher in the experience than to be forgiven. And the reason it rises higher is because it is flying on gospel wings of forgiveness. And so my plea to us as a congregation, and I believe it's God's plea to us as we move towards Monday, Thursday and communion together, is that we stretch our wings our gospel wings of being loved and died for and the God being satisfied and being in Christ and adopted and forgiven, that we stretch these gospel wings and by faith embrace them and let them lift us into gospel flying, which is gospel forgiving. Let's pray together. Lord, as the prayer teams stand here at the front at the end, ready to help people fly by praying strength into their wings and faith into their wings. I pray that you'd touch your people now. Father, would you come with this faith? These things are true for all believers, these six things. And oh, how I pray that we will not fold our wings in unbelief, but that we will stretch them and let the wind of the Spirit come under them and might we fly in forgiveness in these days, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.